am excited to be here tonight. I hope that you are as well. If uh, you have your iPhones or you have a tablet of some sorts and you uh, have the Version app on there, it's been a little while, but we hooked up the Version Live today so you can follow along with the scriptures that we're going through. And part of the reason why I did that is so you can help hold me accountable. And the reason why is because last week I made a mistake. I'm not sure if you saw it. I'm not sure if you caught it or not. If you didn't, it's because you're just like me and you blow through the genealogies in Genesis. If uh, you did catch it, thank you for not yelling at me. Not true! Not true! Don't, uh, thanks for not doing that to me. But last week, we talked about Abel. And as we talked about Abel, we talked about Abel's uh, still speaking today. And I said, you know, he didn't say any words in all of Scripture, which is still true. He did not say any words in all of Scripture. Yet he still speaks today. But I talked about his brother Cain and brother Cain's legacy and brother Abel's legacy and how they both came down. I said there was a bright spot in Cain's legacy, even though he had sinned. And I said that bright spot was Enoch. Well, I didn't realize or I didn't really pay that close of attention that there's how many kids could possibly be named Enoch, right? There's a different Enoch that I, I had to find, and it was in Genesis 5 and not in Genesis chapter 4. So as I saw Enoch, uh, you might say, well, who? And that's it exactly. You know, it's not one of those ones you catch and you go, oh, I, I got it. I know who this is. Enoch, the one we're supposed to be talking about, not the one I talked about last week, the one we're supposed to be talking about this week, has a grand whopping total of nine verses in all of Scripture that mention him and talk about him. And yet he still made it into this Hebrews chapter 11 hall of faith. And that's one of the reasons, I think the reason why I kind of went, well, it's, he's an unsung hero. Not a lot of people are going to know about it. I told somebody this week that I was meeting with him, like, oh, I made this mistake. And they're like, what? Like, maybe I shouldn't say anything. I still look like a saint coming out of the deal. And I'm like, no, I can't do that. I got to just, in case somebody like wrote it down, oh, Cain's Enoch. Nope, it's not Cain's Enoch. As a matter of fact, it's Cain's brother Seth's Enoch. And Cain's brother Seth, Enoch, is what we're going to be talking about, and that's in the lineage that actually leads up to Noah. And that lineage, as it heads into Noah, what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at this genealogy. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter, chapter 11, but we're also going to look at Genesis chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles with you, I would like for you to kind of be ready to flip between those. If not, like I said, it's in uh, that version Live app that you can you can open up. I promise I won't question whether or not you're looking at sports scores because there isn't any games tonight that really matter. The one game matters tomorrow. Uh, so uh, the, the, the thing is, is that, that, you know, I know you're not doing that. So what I'd love for you to do is kind of follow along with us because as we dive into this, you might be thinking genealogies. Genealogies are boring. Genealogies just are there for whatever reason. Nobody's even quite sure. Well, the cool thing is, is I started looking at Genesis chapter 5, and as I was looking at Genesis chapter 5, and I said, oh, Enoch's found in that one. It's a different Enoch. It's the line of Seth that leads to Noah. Uh, I was talking to Jerome about it this week, and he said, you know, I heard a thing from a guy named Chuck Missler that explains why this genealogy really is that important. And I said, oh, wow, what's that? He said, there's a hidden message of redemption in that. And I said, oh, I'd never heard that before. So I looked it up, and sure enough, there it was, Chuck Missler guy who's an evangelist who's forgotten more than I've ever learned. He, he has this whole breakdown of the names in Hebrew from Adam all the way down to Noah that are found in Genesis chapter 5. So I have put uh, Genesis chapter 5 verses 1 through 32 in that U version, but I just want to do a real quick breakdown of it. See, it starts with Adam. And as it starts with Adam, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the Hebrew names, and it's up here on the board, so it kind of walks through it all here. And you'll see that it's not by coincidence the way the names came down and the way that the Hebrew word, that, that God had a 
kind of a little mysterious thing in the background here. Check this out. Adam means man. Adam had a son named Seth. Seth means appointed. Enosh was Seth's son, meaning mortal. Kenan means sorrow. Mahalalel means the blessed God. Jared means shall come down. Enoch, teaching. Methuselah, his death shall bring. Lamech, despairing. And Noah, rest and comfort. Now, as you look at that and you see that, you're like, okay, well, I don't quite understand what you're saying. Where is the message at in that? Well, when you stop and you think about the gospel story, the gospel story that we know even today, and this was thousands of years before that gospel story ever, ever came out, was the gospel story is the fact that man had sinned, had fallen away from God, and that Jesus Christ came down to be our comforter, to be our um, salvation. Well, check this out. When you kind of just take away the names and just pay attention to the thing, man is appointed mortal sorrow, but the blessed God shall come down teaching that his death shall bring the despairing rest and comfort. Kind of gives me goosebumps when I read it. Kind of overwhelms you a little bit to think that thousands of years before Jesus ever came, God's plan was already in action through Adam. Adam being the, the fallen one to lead to Seth who would lead to Noah eventually. And obviously we know what happens with Noah. Lots of you guys had it on your your nursery kids' walls and just death and despair all over the walls. It's great. It's a great story. Um, But, uh, you know, you you look at that and you think God had a plan. From the very beginning, God had a plan. And And I look at it and I see that plan. I think about the crazy steps that's in it and how it all fits together in this timeline. And I see even a crazier part here is is this guy Enoch that's right in the middle of it all. And as we look at Enoch, I think how in just that little bit that he's talked about in Genesis chapter 5, does he make it to the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11? What is it about Enoch that, that the Hebrew writer wanted to encourage those Jewish believers on who he was and why they should continue to live by faith? Why would he use that? So I began to, to dig a little bit deeper. And, and the funny thing is, I think it's begins to be found in that genealogy, in that Genesis 5 genealogy. And, and, you know, when we look at that genealogy just a little bit closer, the question is, is what is the results? What is the importance of those results? So what I want to do is I want to read the first five verses of it and then kind of skip around it. But check this out, what it says. The first five verses of Genesis chapter 5. It says, this is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and he named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered of a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam he had fathered Seth were 800 years and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years. That's a long time. And then what? He died. He died. That, that's the result. That's the result. If, if you look and continue to look throughout um, all of Genesis chapter 5, almost every person dies. And you might be thinking, well, why is that a big deal? Of course they died. The question is, is why? Well, if you go back two chapters, you know the reason why. Because in Genesis chapter 3, we see the fall of man which brings death. And we see, that, we see that in Seth, he lives 912 years. That's a long time, yet he still died. Enosh, 
905 years, he died. That pattern repeated throughout the genealogy. They fathered, they died. They fathered, they died, except for one. Except for one. And when we pause and we look at that, you, you can see the, the reason for it is exactly what Romans chapter, uh, chapter uh, 6 tells us, that the wages of sin is death. Romans chapter 3 tells us we all fall short of God's glory because we have sinned. We're not able to do it on our own. And, and we, we understand that, but all of a sudden this big question mark comes up, and that question mark is found, and we, we pick it up in verse 18 of Genesis chapter 5. It said, when Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and other son, had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Jared's life were 962, and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. This is something that's totally different right here in verse 22 than anything else that's been said in this entire chapter. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch's life were 365, quite a bit shorter than everybody else. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. What's the one thing missing from that statement that all the other ones had? He died. Now, it says in there that God took him, and if we use our terminology today, sometimes we're like, oh, well, God just took him a little bit too soon. And, and that's kind of our terminology for death. So is that what he's trying to say? Or... Did he not die? It's a pretty big debate. The more I started it, the more I looked at it, the more I realized Hebrews chapter 11 that we're going to be focusing on tells us in verse 5, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. So in the middle of this, this Genesis chapter 5 run of birth and death and fathering and dying and all of the stuff that takes place, we have this guy who walked with God. Hebrews 11 says he pleased God. And if you flip over to the book of Jude, it says he witnessed for God. And the more that I looked at Enoch, even this week, all I could think about was, man, how do we miss this guy? Because he only has nine verses, and because he's part of a genealogy, and because sometimes we just look at the Hebrews' hall of faith and say, yeah, that guy, that guy, that guy, that guy. How do we miss this guy? Shouldn't we all want to be like this guy? One who walked with God, one who pleased God, and one who witnessed for God? Shouldn't that be our desire in life? Shouldn't that be everything? Because, like I said, there's only 365 years of his life compared to the 900 everybody else had, and there's only nine verses compared to the way we see Noah has entire chapters. We, we see all kinds of stuff about everybody else, but he only has nine verses. How can we take anything from this? And I believe it starts in Genesis chapter 5, verses 21 and 22, when it says he lived for 365 day, or years. He walked with God. He fathered Methuselah and other, uh, other children. And a quick note to look at is this. When he had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God. What's that next word? After. After. After he fathered Methuselah for 300 years. And I got to thinking about that. So for the first 65 years of his life, is this passage telling us that he did not walk with God? 
I mean, I'm, I'm reading that. I'm asking you, maybe you, you have better insight than I do, but when I read that, that's, that's what I see. And I got to thinking, how did that happen? How did this choice to walk with God happen? What was it about the birth of Methuselah that caused this to happen? There's a couple of things that I came to. First, I got to thinking about when, in my own personal life, there's three things, I believe, that have really uh, focused my attention more on God, that have really made me stop and go, Mm, I, I'm going to have a fresher look at who God is and what he is to me in that. The three things are this. Sickness, because mortality was on the line. And it made me think in, in a mortal fashion of there's got to be something more to this. Marriage, because it was time to grow up. And then children, because then I knew I had to uh, maybe live a life that somebody else was watching. And it doesn't take children to do that, but that was the one that, that kind of made me think that, that when my first son was born, I have to live a life that he's going to look at. And when my second son was born, I have to live a life that he's going to look at. When my daughter was born, and then when we adopted the three, that put a lot of pressure on me. And I began to look at this and went, is that what it is? Is that why after he fathered Methuselah, that he decided to walk with God because he knew that he had to be the dad that set the example for his son. And that was one of those things that started getting in there. And I started to ask the question, what is it that really matters? What was it to him? Was it even the name Methuselah that means shall, the, the death shall come? When he dies, death shall come? Or the judgment shall come? And you kind of go, well, maybe that's it. I mean, if I name my kid that, I think I'd better be good for him. Yeah, that's kind of the thinking in it all. I mean, we went back and forth, Peyton, Methuselah. We just, Peyton rolled his tongue a little easier, so we stuck with that, thankfully. But, you know, you, you look at that and you think, is that what took it? What was it that had him choose to walk with God? And I began to, to look at some of the other things. Just a couple of, the, I mean, he only had nine verses really about him. I looked at Jude uh, and I say chapter 1, there was only one chapter, so it's Jude 14 and 15. It says this, and it was Enoch's prophecy about what was coming. It said, it was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all, to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way, and that all of the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. He ultimately was speaking about the return of Christ. Well before anything was possible, any of that stuff, once again, we're talking thousands of years before Christ ever came. But he was also speaking about what was not going to happen in his lifetime, and it was not going to happen in his son's lifetime, but would happen on the end of his son's lifetime. And that is the flood. Now, if you're a mathematician and you're one of those ones who really like to punch all the numbers, I, I read some cool stuff on the math that actually puts the, the death of Methuselah on the same year as the flood coming with Noah. And the way it all predicts out and the way it's all written around, it, it, it really is quite amazing. And once again, it's kind of one of those things we read through a genealogy and go, yep, he birthed, he fathered, he died. And we kind of blow by that. And we're seeing all this amazing stuff kind of take place here. And when we look at that, we think about this choice to walk with God. And he made this choice to begin to walk with God. And sometimes we say, well, I need to choose to walk with God. I've been given the opportunity to walk with God. And then you stop and you pause and go, well, how is Enoch different than us? We saw he had a choice, 
let's take a look at the circumstances that surrounded that choice. See, if Enoch was the, the basically the, the, I don't know what, great-grandfather, grandfather of, of Noah, and he knew what was about ready to come, and he knew these things were, were, were coming this way, he knew the end was coming, he prophesied about the end coming, why would he prophesy about that? Why was there a flood to begin with? If you go to Genesis chapter 6, it answers that question. It says this in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of thoughts of the man's heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he'd even made man on earth, and it grieved him to his heart. That's why he wanted to wipe out the planet. Well, if it's that bad when the flood comes, what do you think that Enoch was living in the midst of? Evil, depravity, all kinds of junk. Much worse even than we're living in today, but even as we look around today, we see evil. We see depravity. We see all of these things. And so the circumstances are there. Uh, you know, if you go back to that passage that's found in Jude, the word ungodly is used four times because he knew what it was. He knew what was coming. He knew the reason why. And yet he still chose to walk with God despite the circumstances. What is our biggest reservation for walking with God? Is it not our circumstances? on how somebody might say something to us or we might offend somebody in some way because we're walking in such a way that is godly and they are not and we're putting some sort of undue pressure on them so I'm going to cave to them versus them caving to us? That happens often. Yet we look at this and we say, he made a choice. And if we go to Hebrews, that choice was made by faith. To say, I am going to walk with God because God is eternal Everything else is just temporary. I'm going to put my faith in him, that I'm going to walk with him, and I, no matter the circumstances. And the great thing is, is that we see this all begin to move in this, this fashion, that because he's walking with God, despite the circumstances, he begins to have a connection with God. He begins to have communion with God. You know, uh, Amos chapter 3, verse 3, asked this question. Do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet? The two walk together unless they walk in agreement. And we can look at that in our relationships, whether it be with friends or family or our spouse or, or just anything. Do two walk together unless they are in agreement? Why do you have friends that you have? Well, probably because they have the same interests as you. Why do you have the family? Well, that probably isn't the best question. Um, you know, but when we get together, we understand we're going to be happy together and walk together because we have a connection. And you see that start to take place in this walk with God and Enoch. We see him walking and making this connection so much so that God whispers in his ear to say, hey, coming judgment is, is on its way, and I want you to tell the world. I mean, that, that's a big step. Do you realize when we look at that, that terminology that says that Enoch walked with God, that that terminology is only used with one other person, and that's Noah? Now, it says Abram, he walked before God, and Zechariah said he walked among the commandments. But the only two that specifically say that he walked with God was Enoch and Noah. And guess what? Both of them played a huge part in this coming judgment. 
and the words that were poured out there. So this connection is there. We, we can choose to walk with God despite the circumstances. And the more you walk with God, the more you're going to be connected to him. Guess what? Enoch was just an example. We still can do that today if we choose to walk with God by faith. So we see this connection begin to take place, and I, and I look at Enoch's life, and I say, man, that is so impressive. It's so impressive that in the midst of all the junk that's going on, that he decided he would still walk uh, amongst it. You know, we think about ourselves that, that if we're going to do that, we want somebody to hold us accountable. We want somebody to encourage us. We want the ability to, you know, have a devotional or whatever it might be that, that's going to spur us on to, to continue to do it. He didn't have any of that, yet he still chose to walk with God by faith. And you know what the most impressive thing of all the things that I've read so far was that he did it for 300 years. 300 years. That's consistency. I'm just going to be honest with you. You know, even as a pastor, I struggle to walk with God for three weeks, much less three centuries. I mean, when you really think about it, we struggle with that. We falter, we trip, we, we, we look at it and say, how am I supposed to do this? And that's where that encouragement comes in. And that's where that accountability comes in. And remember him, he didn't have those things. How did he do it for three centuries? And it's those same two words that are mentioned at the beginning of every name in Hebrews chapter 11, by faith. He continued to walk by faith. He continued to walk in that by faith. He chose to walk by choice, by faith, regardless of the circumstances. I don't know about you, but that kind of blows my mind. The more that I dug into it this week, I'm like, man, there's so much information. There's only nine verses. How am I going to get through all of this uh, on a Saturday night and on a Sunday morning? How am I going to be able to pour this out? You know, when he left, he didn't have a tombstone. But if he did have a tombstone, just because somebody had to put it on there, uh, there's a, a verse in, in Malachi 2.6, Malachi, for those of you guys who, who don't really know the Bible, uh, it, it says this, and it's a great description. I think this is a description I'd want on my tombstone. This is what it says. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me, God, in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. Wow, that, that, that would be his tombstone. Wouldn't we all want that for our tombstone? To say that we walked with God in peace and uprightness? I don't think there's any more question to why Enoch, somebody who only had nine verses, someone who was barely mentioned in this genealogy, would end up in the hall of faith. It's amazing to me when we do just a little bit deeper digging. Even when we go to that, though, there's even more in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 5 and 6. Let me read that for you again. It says, this, By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So when I look at that verse, I see the fact that he walked with God. But you know what else he did? He pleased God. He pleased God, and I saw that, and I thought to myself, that's a statement that we might take lightly, that we might just kind of read over, but that is something that I don't think we should take lightly. Part of the reason for that is this. I am a sinner. Not only am I a sinner, but I am a dirty, rotten sinner. 
I am full of my own self. I, I cannot do anything on my own. I, I am unable to, to get to, to heaven. And when I look at that, to say that somehow or another, me as a dirty, rotten sinner can please the ever holy, all perfect God, that kind of is like, what? But yet Enoch was able to do it. And I got to ask the question, how? How was Enoch able to do it? And, and you look at that, that first uh, answer is found in the verse 6 that I read. It says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. He rewards those who seek him. See, Enoch pleased God by first seeking him. By re- being willing to, to walk with him, be able to, to say, you know, I, I have a kid now, and I am going to choose to follow by faith, and I'm going to seek God in this way. God rewards those, it says in that verse, who seek him. Think about this. Everybody in Enoch's day was seeking out their own gods, were they not? And yet he chose to go off the beaten path and follow after God. I don't know what he did. I don't know how he did it, but he separated himself from all the junk in the days before the flood, in the days that the, that the world really was at its worst. Faith finds a way to trust in God and to please God. Because it's by faith that we do that. It's by faith that we do it. And we talked about Abel last week being willing to, to give up of his firstborn uh, of his flock, to be willing to say, it is not mine anyways, it's all yours. That was by faith. Now we look at Enoch and says, it, it, he, faith gave him strength to, to live a life that was pleasing to God. And that's a, that's a big statement. And I think the question is, how do we do it? How do we get to that place? The second thing I saw, and it ties into the first, that, that we know that Enoch not only sought after God, he focused his life spiritually on God. He focuses life spiritually on God. See, there's a good handful of verses. If you just type in into Google, how do I please God? It's going to give you all kinds of verses on, on them, but the one that stood out to me as I was reading through and, and looking at things was found in Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 8. Let me read that for you real quick. It says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Check out this. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So it doesn't say how we can please God, but it does say how we cannot please God. And that how we cannot please God is to focus on ourselves. To focus on our own self-interest. To focus on our own self-centered pursuits. To focus on me and how this is all going to work out for us. There's a question that, that Enoch, I believe, used in his life, and that is this. Will what I am doing please God? And he used that for the measuring stick for whatever he was doing. Will this please God? And he had to ask that question by faith because obviously everybody else around was saying, this is what I'm doing because it's going to please me. Will what I am doing please God? And I think, I think if we asked that question, it would change a lot of things. Instead of basing our, our, our decisions on politics or basing our decisions on what we believe or basing our decisions on, on how far is too far and we get to answer that question or should I do this or should I do that, if we just ask the question, 
will this please God? Wouldn't that be a whole life-changing simplicity of, of living? When we just stopped and said, will what I'm doing please God? And how do you know if it pleases God or not? Well, it kind of goes back to the whole idea of walking with him. And as you walk with him, you have that connection and you know him and you know what would please him. What are we doing and how are we doing it? We look at Enoch and it says he walked with God. It says he pleased God. But the last thing we saw was found that Jude 14 and 15, that he witnessed for God, that he witnessed for God. See, those two verses that are recorded in the book of Jude actually come from the book of Enoch. I know you're like, what? This is actually a book of Enoch. Now, if you have uh, maybe a Catholic Bible that includes the Apocrypha and, and some of the things in there, uh, it came in one of the councils, and I can't remember which one. There's this thing called the canon, and they said, this is God-inspired, this is not. These are the books that belong in the Bible. This is the books that won't. Enoch didn't make the cut. However, Enoch was used by many Jewish uh, believers, many, many Jews altogether as a book that was, had high standards. It was a book that, that was supposedly written by Enoch. It was a book that, that was a good challenge, and it also it was a book of prophecy. And so they still use this, so much so that Jude, when he wrote his one-chapter book, that it included a quote from it. And he was telling this to basically say, you know what, we need to stop living in such a way that we're not going to witness because we're afraid of offending somebody. Because I'll be very honest with you, when it comes right down to it, Jesus said he's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. And no man would come to the Father except through him. I can't break that down any way that is less offensive because he's saying he's it. And that's a hard pill for me to swallow as a pastor when I'm meeting with somebody who's a part of a different religion. When I'm talking to somebody who says, well, I don't believe that. And I'm like, you don't have to. But I would suggest you do because he said it. And it's a very difficult thing. And so sometimes we'll back away from that. As it says in Hebrews chapter 10, right before we get into this Hebrews chapter 11, there's so many people who shrink back because they're afraid of that. And Enoch wasn't one who shrunk back. He witnessed and said, guys, there's a coming judgment and you need to know God. You need to know Jesus Christ. A.W. Tozer is quoted as saying this, we need preachers who will preach that hell is still hot, heaven is still real, sin is still wrong, and the Bible is still God's word. And when we look at that, we think to ourselves, there's a lot of that that doesn't go on. And that's an unfortunate thing. And that's an unfortunate thing because there's people that will follow and listen and hear that and say, okay, as long as I do this, this, and this, which is already what Hebrews writers are saying. It's not about what you do. It's about what God's already done through His Son, Jesus Christ. We see that and we say, we need to live in a different way. And that's what Enoch did. How was he able to do it? How was he able to walk with God? How was he be only, only concerned in his mind to please him? How was he able to say, I, I want to share this message with people who are going to hate me for it? How does he do that? And we don't have much about Enoch in Scripture, but we do have enough to challenge us to live a life of faith. Because that's the answer. The answer is, is by faith. Do you believe that's what Jesus said? you believe that what he said is true? Do you believe if you do, it's by faith? And if you don't, that's also by faith. What faith are you putting in that? See, to desire God, to walk with God, to no matter the circumstances, no matter all of it, to do it consistently, 
preach a message of repentance. It starts with our walk, starts with our priorities, starts with our witness. My question is, how is your walk? How are your priorities? How is your witness? What's that look like in your life? It all started with a choice for Enoch. I believe it all starts with a choice for us as well. What that choice is, when that choice happens, that's totally up to you. Enoch lived for 65 years. He had the benefit of living for 365, so at least he had a little bit longer than maybe you do if you're at 65. But it starts at all of us at some point to choose to walk with God. My challenge to you today is to do that. Choose to walk with God. Choose to get into his word. Choose to take those steps to say, I am changed. If you haven't ever been baptized before, maybe this next week is that step of saying, I choose to walk with God. What he's done for me on the inside, now I want to show to the outside, and I want to take that next step. I don't know what God's saying to you, because each, each one of you are in a different place. But I know that each one of us are supposed to be in the same direction, walking with God. That's my challenge to you. Let's pray as we dive into that. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word, and thank you for Enoch. Thanks for humbling me when I blew it not even realizing who he really was because I had just read through it so quickly. Thank you for the ability to be able to study. Thank you for the ability to be able to, to see what you have to speak through, through Enoch. Thank you even for the simple things that Chuck Missler did to show your redemption process through the book of Genesis chapter 5. But even as we look at Enoch, even as we look at that in our own lives, even though uh, we don't have much on him, we get to see so much about him, the way that he lived. He lived to walk with you. He lived to please you. He lived to witness for you. God, I'll be very honest. That's what I want in my life. But so many distractions come up, and I can blame the circumstances. Enoch could have blamed the circumstances, but he chose not to. He chose still to walk with you and still chose to follow you and still chose please you. God, I want to be more like that. I want to be a, a man that maybe years from now is able to be written about. May my faith be in you. God, I pray that for every person in this room. We struggle so mightily because of our circumstances, because of the family we have, the family we don't have, things we've done in our past the things we did even today there's things that, that cause us to doubt but we got we know that by faith that you sent your son to wash away all the things of our past that by your grace and your mercy you've accepted us just how we are and are changing us into who you want us to be as we walk with you and we commune with you and we we continue to, to avoid the circumstances, to, to ignore the circumstances around us, but instead to follow you. God, I don't know where everybody's at in this room, but you, you do. I pray you speak to their hearts and minds, even during this last song. We pray it in your name.